Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Shabbat shalom, everyone. I'm glad all of you are here and those online. Thank you for um, joining us. We're in the book of John, chapter 1. Um, let me open it in prayer, and then uh, we can get into the study. Father Yahuwah, we give you great thanks, Father. We thank you for another wonderful Shabbat. We thank you for a country that we can come together and do this, Father. So, Father, be with us today as we look into your words, your direction in our lives, and the words of your Son and how he's directing us in our hearts back to you, Father. Father, we thank you for, for your love and your mercy that you've shown each and every one of us. Again, we give you great thanks, Yahuwah. Amen. So I'm glad all of you guys are here. And again, the, the typical uh, thing is um, uh, we'll ha if you have comments or questions, Paul has the mic. He'll just raise your hand. He'll make his way to you. And again, we ask to be brief and on point, And let's not get ahead of the text so we can all learn together, so to speak. Okay? And, and those online, thank you again. For, uh, you can always go to livingmessiah.com for if your heart feels to donate. That would be a wonderful, wonderful uh, thing that you could do. We thank you for that in advance. So last week, we're in the book of John, chapter 1. And maybe we'll finish chapter 1 today. We'll see how it goes. But um, as we're going through, uh, maybe just the highlights of last week, we were talking about grace and truth and how grace and truth always were present. Okay? Grace and truth wasn't something that was, uh, that was new with the arrival of Messiah. Uh, for instance, in um, John uh, 1.17, it said, For the Torah was through Moses, grace and truth were realized. Came, we could see it. We saw an actual, uh, a really in-depth way of walking that out. So it was realized through Yeshua the Messiah. So... So I think that was point. And we also talked about how we saw somewhat of a, a kingship and a sonship being hinted at here. Um, and it was interesting. Uh, we got with Paul and how the, what the, the, the two difference of the Greek translations, one had the idea that you could maybe see clearly that it was saying son and the other not necessarily wasn't pointing that out. So um, yeah, I think that it's kind of interesting. It, it, it's, you know, so whatever road, how you look at it, I think ultimately you're going to end up with Yeshua anyhow uh, in that. But that's always something uh, that we need to do. So I uh, thank you, Paul, for bringing that out. And, um, and this is what we have to do. We have to uh, together look at the text and look at the different texts. And then um, so that's how we all grow. 
So I talked about the, the idea, and I left off with the idea, where in some sense, if we go with the, the mindset as a son in a kingship being uh, sort of introduced here, um, the idea I was telling you, the one thing I saw, and we'll read in um, Psalms, uh, in, in Psalms 2 here, where it talks about a, uh, a, a son in a kingship, in a sense, that's what the kings of Israel, in some ways, were that, were a son, okay? They, uh, you know, they were addressed as this, like a son of God because of the position that they, they held. Um, and another key word that we looked at uh, real briefly was we looked at the ideal of bosom and what that meant and uh, that close embraceness, that intimacy that is with that word, especially in the Hebrew. So we bring that forward when we see in the bosom of Abraham, it had the idea of this embracing and closeness. Okay, so when it talked about this son, you know, he was in the bosom of the father. He was in, he was intimate with the father so we're going to see that played out in um we'll see that played out in messiah obviously but that word bosom is going to pop up here um again i just and i'll remind you again about that as we go so like i said let's read psalms 2 because this plays a part in this uh, the mindset if we go about this sonship um, in the kingship idea, okay? So Psalm 2 reads this way, and I'll read the whole, I think this is the fullness of the Psalms, I, um, but we'll read most, I, no, I think this is all of Psalms 2 here. We're going to read it, and then we'll start to get back into the text again. Why do the Gentiles or the Goyim, Goyim rage and the peoples meditate emptiness? That's kind of interesting. Why do those people meditate on Empty things. Remember, we, we, we look back, and it talks about meditate on the Torah, meditate on him and his commandments. Okay? The kings, the, the sovereigns of the earth, take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against Yehoah and against his Messiah, his anointed, and say this. They say this. Let us tear apart the bonds and throw away their ropes from us. Think about that. Let's do away with that old stuff. Don't bind me down with the Old Testament stuff. Don't put these bounds, uh, ropes around me and these bonds that are going to hold me down like the Torah. He who is sitting in the heavens laughs at that when they say that. Yahuwah mocks them. He speaks to them in his wrath and troubles them in his rage, saying, But I, I have set my king, my sovereign, in Zion, in Zion, my set-apart mountain. That's all about his house. I inscribe Allah. Yahuwah has said to me, You are my son. Today I have brought you forth. So you see this connection between a king and a son and being brought forth. And then it goes on, ask of me and I will make the goyim, all the nations, your inheritance and the ends of the earth, your possession. Break them with the rod of iron, dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel 
And, um, and now be wise, O kings and sovereigns and rulers. Be instructed, you rulers of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. That's interesting. Rejoice with trembling. Hmm. Kiss the son, lest he be enraged, and you perish in the way. For, for soon his wrath is, is to be kindled. Blessed are those taking refuge in him. So ultimately we can see this idea. There is an ultimate king here. There's an ultimate son who's going in some sense that we see is coming through David here. And you better kiss him, and you better take refuge in that one. Okay? So we have this idea, refuge in the son, refuge in the father. They're one and the same. Okay? The word, the son, the spirit, all from the beginning, including grace and truth. That's what we, some of what we've been gathering from the very first verse. In the, in the beginning was Elohim, and Elohim was the word. The word was Elohim. So let's continue on now. Um, John 1. And he, and he said, and this is uh, going back to the story, we had John the Baptist. That's where we're at. So the John the Baptist says, he, and he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Because they're asking him, who are you? Why are you doing all this? Okay? And he said, I am the one, the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of Yahuwah as the prophet Isaiah said. So John, John the Baptist here, ultimately, what is he, again, I've said this over and over again, what is he relying on? He's relying on the Old Testament. He's relying on everything that has been spoken and set before, okay? So uh, now this is interesting. Remember I was telling you about, we just saw in the text, it says, it was talking about him. He was in the bosom of the Father, and we had that sonship and that idea coming on. And all of a sudden, John's going along with this same theme here. He's quoting Isaiah, something that he heard before in Isaiah, something that's not new, something that he was relying everything, his being and what he was seeing and what was about to happen to him or is going to happen to all of them, he was relying on, on something that was said from Isaiah. And actually, he's quoting Isaiah 40 is where it's coming from. And like I said, a lot of times, it, you just can't take that verse, take it in its context, and maybe the whole chapter. There's a lot more there. But for what I want to do is, because the beginning of Isaiah 41 says this, okay? Comfort, comfort my people, says your Elohim. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahuwah, make straight in the desert a highway for our Elohim. So John's proclaiming how to receive comfort from Elohim. Because remember, he's here doing what? He's emerging people, baptizing them, okay, into the concept of repentance. And guess what? Obviously, the New Testament isn't written yet. So John's idea of repentance is turning back to something that's already been said. Then it goes on. Here's this idea of bosom. Remember, I'll remind you the idea of bosom is it's a, um, 
in the Semitic mind, I had this little definition, in the Semitic mind, what they would get was a picture of a mother's embrace of a nursing baby, okay? Uh, and ultimately, the emphasis is on protection, support, shutting the rest out in that intimacy that's there. All right, so now, because we saw, saw that already mentioned in John, two verses, I think, before this or so, and now he's quoting Isaiah, and look, Isaiah 40, we have this idea about his bosom showing up. So it goes on to this one that Isaiah is talking about, the one crying in the wilderness that he's pointing out. And it says this, he feeds his flock like a shepherd. All of, now, all of a sudden, did you notice? We've had spirit, we've had truth, we had grace, we had sonship, kingship. And now we have a shepherd all being put into the same imagery about this particular person who we'll see is going to, uh, has a, many other titles as well. So he feeds his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs with his arms and carries them in his bosom. That idea, close embrace that's going on here. This shepherd is going to be intimate or looking for intimacy with his sheep, okay? Gentle, leading those who are with young. Who has measured the waters and, and in the hollow of his hand? Oh, look where it's jumping to all of a sudden. You notice the verbiage going on? Because we just saw in the beginning of John how we're we got everything from the beginning in Genesis, and we looked at that real clear. All of a sudden, in Isaiah is doing the same thing. He's talking about this shepherd is what? In the beginning. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and measured the heavens with the span and, can, um, and contained the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in its balance? Who has um, measured or metered out the, the, the spirit of Yahuwah or who, or I'm sorry, or has uh, counseled, or his counselor taught him, with whom did he take counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the path of right ruling? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? So in Isaiah is talking about this shepherd. And why this is going to play a part is because real quickly here, they're going to ask John, why are you doing this? Who sent you? Who gave you authority to do this? And it's so interesting. The one crying in the wilderness. And if they knew their Bible like we should do, go back to Isaiah. Oh, he's talking about something very, very, very powerful here in the text. Not just by one crying out in the wilderness. There's much more to it. It's this shepherd. It's this one who was from the beginning, who holds everything. Who was there? In the, that sounds a whole lot like the Holy Spirit, didn't it? In the beginning of Genesis that was in the beginning. John's theme... <laughs> isn't changing so far. It keeps kind of, to me, repeating the same imagery, the same principles, the same ideas over and over again. And anytime he brings like a new piece in, 
he shows you how that relates all the way through. A perfect example, if he talks about this idea of sonship and kingship and how that weaves all the way back to the word of God, which in the beginning open statements that John makes, in the beginning was the word. Now we got shepherd being brought into the mix and he's taking that idea shepherd and same thing, all the way, we'll trace it all the way back. Seems like the shepherd is the word that was in the beginning and the word was Elohim. That's the way my mind is tracking this. So, so this whole die with whom, who, okay? And we talked about ultimately the, re, the theme of repentance is going on here because we got to come to the present, uh, the present story and what John's doing, okay? He's at the water's edge at the Jordan baptizing people into this repentance. So, ultimately, we also see here is this idea of good news. Good news is being introduced here. The shepherd and his flock, again, it's all in the context of the Old Testament. We cannot put, ah, this is going to sound weird, we can't put John in the context of Newer, Newer Testament. We have to put John in the context where he's at. New Testament doesn't exist, so to speak. He's where he's at, and he's basing everything that he sees and he's trusting of everything that has been established before. Isaiah. Isaiah, excuse me. I just have a comment about what you're saying because when Yeshua was here, he did the same thing. You know, he didn't have a uh, New Testament for to go to. He didn't bring out the book. He didn't break out the book of Matthew and like hey, right. quote right. So, so he he was going off the old concept, uh, and um, in addition to that, he didn't even write anything. You know, it was written about him, but he didn't. He never wrote anything. When Yeshua was here, he never wrote anything. Those the people in the New Testament wrote about what he did, yeah. you know, but he never talked about anything like that. You know, he, he, he wasn't endorsing the New Testament, per se. That's what they wrote about what they see. Mm -hmm. But he always did what you said. You know, he referred back to the old. So I understand where you're coming from and what you're saying. Great. Thank you. Thank you. So what we have here, the, uh, again, just a quick review. We have this bosom intimacy. We have Genesis involved from the very beginning of the text. We have the spirit. We have water going on. We have hope. I'll show you that in more depth. We have hope here now, okay? We have right ruling and we have the Torah. The teachings and the instructions that have not changed. Like I said, let's go on here. And those sent from the Pharisees, what are they going to do? And they asked him, saying, Why then do you immerse if you are not the Messiah, the anointed one, Elijah, or that prophet that was talked about through Moses? And John answered them, saying, I immerse in water, but in the mist stands one whom you do not know. And we looked at that idea of not knowing. And I'm going to suggest to you... Most of the times I see who you did not know, remember, 
He was in the world, but you did not know him. It's not talking about the Jewish people didn't, didn't get it. No, he was talking about everyone didn't know him. Because you know why we didn't know him? We wasn't obeying him. We wasn't doing the instructions. We wasn't living a lifestyle to actually know our creator. We might have known of him and however we wanted to do it. All right? So, one whom you do not know, the one coming after me who has become before me, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to loosen. This took place in Bethanum beyond the Jordan where John was immersing them in the water. So, what I want to introduce here is this. I remember I was telling you about whom, whom does this. Who instructed the shepherd? Who instructed the one? Who gave our creator instructions on what's right and what's wrong? No one. So who gave the authority here? And again, let's stand it. Let's understand this in the right context. Because what I would suggest here. Um, it is an idea of authority. There were these that were coming that were sent from the Pharisees and ultimately behind this whole thing or they were saying, you know, who's given you authority? That, to me, that's what's in the language here. If you're not the Messiah... Okay, if you're not Elijah, you're not that prophet. So ultimately, we've been sent from the authority, you know, back at the father's house, okay, who are running, let's say, the religious hierarchy. They sent these people out to John and, you know, go see what John's doing and ask him who gave him the authority. Ultimately, they're saying, you know what, John, you didn't get authority to do this. So why are you doing this? Now, where I do want to bring this at is there's, how can I divide it right here? Let me try to do the best I can. John didn't need authority. He already had authority to do what he was doing. And what I'm saying is, okay, there might be that possibility John was a high priest. Let's set that off to the side for now. Okay, maybe John was truly to be the high priest, and maybe that played a part in this as well. But what I want to get back to how that affects us, because any high priests here? Anyone from the Levites? We don't have the authority to do what they do or what our God has given them to do in the temple, okay? But what I see John here outside of just being a regular child of God, that includes us, we have authority. We have been given authority to do what? To do his commandments, the ones that are for us. And I think that's very, very, very important to be understood. Because what I think sometimes happened, maybe in some of our institutions, we might say, oh, we have authority in Jesus, and they are going and doing, actually behaving in some places which you 
never have the authority to do that, even in the name of Jesus. Meaning, you don't have the authority to become a high priest or be, make yourself part of the priesthood. But what you do have, regardless of who you are, you do have authority to do the commandments. So John's here baptizing it. Who's given me the authority to baptize someone into repentance? The Creator did. Meaning, any but of us in our walk have the authority. Who gave me the authority to say, I'm not going to eat ham? He has given me that authority to do that. So let's not make sure when we're talking about what's going on here, this type of authority, in a sense, they're coming to John. Who gave you the authority to do this? And it's like, it should be a no-brainer. I've always had the authority from my Father in heaven to help people to repent and come back to you, you know, to do, this, do the commandments. So a lot of it's a no-brainer. So again, there might be a deeper thing going on here, but there is an authority str um, struggle that's going on here. John. So <clears throat> I would argue we have the authority to do priestly things in the nature of uh, the priest, Yes. Without identifying as being uh, descendants of Levi, Levi, Levi or Cohen. Um, and also, you could say, well, as a result of our covenant with you, through, to Yahweh through Yeshua, where does it put us back in the, if you want to say that, hierarchy of agreements in the past, historical agreements in the past? Because the Levites weren't plan A, right? The Levites were, as a result of the sin of the uh, golden calf, the, it was mm -hmm. supposed to be for the firstborn. So, I'm not trying to just disagree, but I'm trying to say, you know, do we have the authority to set up a bet? Does Living Messiah Ministries have an authority to set up a bet dean to, de to make judicial determinations within our our, our congregation. Oh, well, no, yes. Obviously, and, I mean, you're a member. <laughs> exactly. No, I do see that. I, I guess maybe what I was trying to point out so much, uh, I, maybe I said it wrong, where sometimes I think uh, believers look at this type of authority and they're going off and doing things in places really you what, you've which never been given that authority to well, go Well, it may do. not even be in Scripture. They're just making stuff up. Yes. So we're... By saying we're in the nature of the, the Levites, we're, we, we're not operating outside the Torah. We're mm -hmm. still in the confines of the Torah. It's just, it's just who, is the, who has the authority to take up that office in, in an, an authoritative way? Yes. Yeah, so. I, I, I see. And maybe I can maybe say it this way. Um, I, I, I just read this thing. Uziah, is, am I correcting? I, Uzziah, okay, for instance, he was, um, he was a, a, a wonderful king in the beginning, mm -hmm. right? Strong, militant, did wonderful things, but he got, his head got up there. To the whole point, he says, you know what? I, I'm going to paraphrase that in my logic. I don't need your priest, you priest. I'm going to go in and I can do it myself. I can run right through and offer the incense 
on the altar myself. So, and what I'm saying is, he did not have that authority. He was given his uh, his authority in his realm, and he crossed over right. where he didn't. And that really irritated the Almighty that he did that. And that's where I'm trying to bring it back to where. Um, it may be in the opposite direction where maybe some of the Pharisees coming trying to push too far and take all the authority away from some of the basic things that you and I have authority to do, and that is to eat right, love our neighbor, right. you know, that type thing. Well, it's funny you brought up a king. This was a king pattern yeah. after First Samuel chapter 8, which now I ask the question, through our authority, through Yeshua, are we... Before that, where king was the our king was Yudhevavhe, or are we under the patterns of a king like under the nations, like whatever his name was? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm certainly under the opinion that we're that Yahweh. The the cool thing, the awesome thing about what Yeshua did is he put us back into being where we Yahweh is our king. There's no there's no king like the nations. It's in between. Uh, our, uh, ourselves in Yahweh. No, I agree. So, so we see this. Uh, thank you, John. So we see this. Uh, this is uh, beginning to play out here as well, too. So let me let's continue with this uh, concept. Um, on the next day, John saw Yahshua coming towards him, and said, "See the Lamb of Elohim, who takes away the uh, the, the sin of the world." Now, I mentioned this before. The Lamb of Elohim. What should be in your forefront when you hear this idea of the Lamb of God? What's it? Passover, the Exodus. That's what was in anybody that heard this at the time. Okay? And along with that idea of Passover, the Exodus, there's much more there. So here, I won't belabor this like I've done before, but... I would suggest if you really want to understand the Lamb of God and a deeper meaning, you have to do the Passover. You have to understand the Exodus story, which doesn't end at them leaving Egypt. It ends at the mountain when they receive the commandments. That's the entirety of the whole Passover story or the Exodus story. It's, and obviously Messiah, we see later on, gets placed in there. But I think, um, let's say, in just in general, I think it's very limited on how they, they put the Messiah or the understanding of how they look, put the Messiah in the, that context of Egypt. They put him there real quick, recognize him, and then take him out. Okay? That's what normally happens. They, they ditch the whole mountain and everything. Okay? Which I think is very, very, um, can take you down can make you stay at that mountain longer than you think. Um, or maybe you haven't moved and you don't realize it. Anyhow, this is whom I said, after me comes a man who has become before me. For he, uh, for he has become before me. And I, I did not know him, but that he might be revealed to who? The world? It's kind of interesting here, huh? It doesn't say the world. It might be revealed to Israel. 
Therefore, I come immersing in water, dunking people into this water. So specifically right here, I see this idea of those who are present. He's come to Israel. He's come to his people. Emerging them in the water or guiding them back, this idea of repentance. And John bore witness saying, I have seen the Spirit coming down from the, from the heavens like a dove and remain on him. That's interesting terminology here. It just didn't come down one time in the book of Acts and leave. It's remaining here. So that's something that maybe I won't go down that way, but go ahead. I just have a question. Yes. So before we enter the next portion of that, you are, are you suggesting that John had a, got a, a, an authority that was, that was given to him just like everybody else? Is that what you're saying? Um, I said if we can maybe put that idea of John being the high priest just off to the side, I think there's, uh, in some sense, there's an authority that we all have. We have an authority, not to do the Jewish feast. We have the authority to do the Almighty's feast. We have the authority to wear Ezekiel. We have the authority to, to take his commandments and incorporate them in our lives. That's what I'm saying. And I think John, um, and that's what I wanted to focus more on if I wasn't clear. Like we all have that authority to do that. I understand all that. We all have that authority. But I, what I'm asking is, are you saying that, uh, that he did not have an authority other than that? No, no. I, I think because really what John was doing, they're questioning what, what he's doing. He's emerging people into repentance back to the Father, back to those commandments. Okay? I think it's a no-brainer. I mean, he didn't need authority from... The, uh, from the officials in Jerusalem to do what he was doing. You, you, you see what I'm saying? He had the authority already. Any of them there had the authority to do what John was doing, in my opinion. Because what was he, what was he doing? Turn back to the Torah. Turn back to the commandments. For me, the, even that, do I need authority to say Live a righteous life, ladies and gentlemen. Come back to our Creator. I don't need to... The only authority... The authority is given to me is our Creator to do that. Everyone has that. You know what I mean? I don't need to go to some minister and say, Hey, can I go out and tell people about the Messiah and the Word of God? No. I already, that's already embedded there already, some of the basic principles. And I, th I think maybe that's going to the part, a lot of people don't take up that authority in their life to do that. On the basic level, they let everybody else do it for them when, you know what, you have the authorities of a parent to do that to your children, okay? And you know what, when you give that authority up, if you don't get the results that are pleasing, that's on you. You, you know what I'm saying? We, we need to be active in doing the commandments in our lives, all of our lives. Yes, Paul, sorry. 
Let me, let me put it in context of tradition. Um, at that period of time, they had traditional means of authority to be a rabbi, to be a teacher, to be a prophet, to do all of these things. And John was not discipled by anyone, nor he was he a prophet in the system that existed. How do I contextualize that to today? Pretty much if I go to a school of theology and I get a doctor's degree, a doctor in divinity, now I have been given by this organization here sanctioned to authority to actually use that doctorate of divinity to preach, to teach, to whatever. So two places where authority comes from, man and his institutions are Elohim. So in this case, yes, I believe John had authority from Elohim. How was that authority granted? Well, that can get into a long theological yeah, I, discussion. I, I, I understand, yeah. And let's see, so we got two comments. We got Holly and then we got Ashanti. Okay, yeah, and, uh, and ultimately we know John, his father was in the, in the priesthood operating there as well. So I know maybe it was a, I shouldn't have touched upon this, but you know, cause it, like Paul was saying, it can get tricky cause you got all this technical part. I just want to simplify it that, you know what? There are things that any of us have been given authority to do. And that is to live a righteous life and take hold of that authority. Paul, or uh, the comment I was going to make, I, I'm still going to make, but I want to add to what Paul just said. And that is, what it, when someone is given authority, as Paul just described, described, you know exactly how that person's going to walk out his authority because he was taught by that particular authority. Yes. And there, he's not going to deviate uh, from that teaching. So when he gives his credentials, they know exactly what he's going to teach about. Just as Paul had mentioned, if you were trained under Rabbi... Gamaliel, uh, you know exactly the teachings that come from there. Mm -hmm. Here John comes on the scene, and I think verse 31 supports exactly what you said, Ralphie, which is, I didn't know him, but that he might be revealed to Israel. He revealed himself to John. The Father opened John's eyes and revealed himself to Israel. Therefore is how I have the authority that I have. Therefore, I come immersing in water because he revealed himself to me, Israel. Mm -hmm. No, that's, uh, thank you, Polly. And we don't see John running in and protesting Jerusalem. You know, you don't see that. You know, so it, it's kind of interesting. When, in a lot of ways, he probably had authority to go do that, but he didn't. Uh, John. I just want to point out also that, it, you know, you can have a bad attitude about this. You, you could say, by them asking the, uh, them, him the authority, they're being bad people. Well, that's not necessarily so. It, you know, if, if you have the authority, if, if someone asks you, do you have the authority, mm -hmm. you need to be able to explain why you do have the authority. If exactly. you do, oh, okay, I'm just asking. That, you know, that could be their answer. But we, we, we kind of get into the habit of just assume they're doing bad things. Correct. The, 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 the Pharisees, yes. the ones who sent them. And, and if you look at it in a positive way, they say, uh, I'm going back to 25. If you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, nor the prophet, now yeah. who is the prophet? Yeah. 
Where is that? Is there anywhere that? And I talked about this last week. It was from Moses. Deuteronomy yeah. eighteen fifteen, right? The Hanavi, the prophet. Are you talking about that guy? You know, it it makes sense that these religious people should be looking out for this because they and I and I think it's fair to say at that time they believed that the Messiah was 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 kind of come about. Of course, every generation believes that. It seems like, but yeah, you know. So anyway, I just. You got to be careful about your attitude, what, uh, and assumptions of what they're oh, yeah, what they're coming from. And I'm not going to say you were. Coming, no, right. yeah, just because they were coming, ask them didn't mean that you know all of a sudden, you know, we should see that's like John was saying. That's not a negative thing. We all should be doing that, you know. And so I think that's good. Did we have another comment? Or no, that was no. Okay. I agree. Um, I just have a question for John. There is no, no, no reason why not to ask. You should, everyone should have a title, a, a, a reasonable, um, you know, conscious to ask a question. What, under whose authority are, are you coming? You know, it's, it's an okay question. But you have to see the motive behind the question, too. Yeah. Like, why are they asking that question? Is it because maybe because they are scared that they've been doing the wrongful thing? Or... Is it because they just want to know the correct authority? You got to question exactly. the motive. Those are honest questions that we ask, and, and a lot of us, we probably, we obviously, we jumped ahead in the story, and we know some other things that may be going on. But at this point in time, there's no reason we have to like, okay, how did they mean this? Uh, I'm absent-minded. What is the verse that says you you, you should give an, you should be able to give an account For of what? your testimony? Yes. Well, part of the, your account is. Why do you have the authority to do this? That's mm -hmm. the crucial part. If you can't identify your authority for doing the account of your testimony, then it's worthless. It has no, it has no authority. Mm -hmm. oh. yeah, basically, they wanted to see his prophet license and his baptism license to see if he that was carrying may, it. And see, that's just it. That might be uh, the, the whole case. So, in, like it's being pointed out, it... It's a, it can be a slippery road. So how, the only way that we're going to maybe evaluate all this information, even us as a community, is by knowing our, our scriptures, okay? And knowing when, you know what, uh, they're, not, they're not the, the same denomination, but my goodness, they're really doing some awesome, great things, okay? They're, they have the ability to maybe do some things that we as an, another denomination aren't able to do. So we're not going to criticize them, we're not going to run over them because maybe there's a little bit of change in doctrine. But if they are doing something that is good, even the, the secular world, I think it's good to uplift anything, anybody who's doing something that you know is a righteous thing. Okay? And and praising them for that, you know? So I, I, we, you can see how you could even take it that direction. Barry? I saw two things, actually, for me. Was, uh, one is they were waiting for the Messiah. I, I'm presuming they were expecting him to come around that time, and here was something going on. They wanted to go find out if this was a sign and, and scrutinize the sign to see if it really was a sign of of the messiah mm -hmm. that's kind of my view the other 
thing is I've seen plenty of people who are preaching, say quote-unquote preaching, and they're preaching something I don't know is the gospel. So it's, you know, they could be asking, well, what, what the uh, quality of what he was doing with all the fanfare of people getting baptized, what was going on? Yeah. No, it's interesting because uh, ultimately uh, I, I, both those scenarios are going on. Like what John and Esaias was saying, both could play part in that, you know, um, as far as, okay, um, how would we judge John here? Okay, maybe the, the, those who were sent from Jerusalem saw and knew all, saw, well, he's, he's doing scripture things, he's doing Old Testament things, he's doing good things, but then well, let's just ask him his authority. Or on the other hand, is this, you know, them coming out should have been a no-brainer. Well, I don't know why we were sent out here. It's kind of obviously he, he's talking scripture, he's not swaying from what our forefathers adamantly know and hold to, so why do we need to ask him? You know, he, he, that type thing. So I, I, both are playing a part, and they should play a part in your minds as we go through the text. Uh, Esaias, and then we'll, we'll close here. To me, what's interesting is that who is doing the questioning? You know, uh, the people that are being baptized, being baptized are not questioning his authority, but the people that are questioning his authority as the religious leaders. That, I find that very interesting because evidently, uh, from the looks of things, they don't think he has an authority or they think he's stepping, uh, he's stepping their authority. You, you know, uh, the people that are being baptized have put themselves under his authority, per se. Uh, to me, it sounds like the people that are coming with the questions are offended why the people have put themselves under his authority. No, that's awesome. Thank you, Asaisam. Those online, and, and if you didn't pick up what you, you guys were hearing here, you're listening to us talk about Scripture, having maybe two different looking viewpoints on something. And we can sit here and say, wow, that's awesome. Yes, I never thought about that. And not sitting adamantly opposed. No, it's got to be this way. No, entertain both. And maybe there's value in both those. And that's what I think is so unique about living Messiah. When we can do that effectively, you know, in the text, in peace, and that's how we grow. <laughs> so I, what I want to leave you, because we do have to close down here, is re we went through the idea of the son and king, the lamb of God. That's the Exodus story playing a part, being revealed through the immersion and repentance and repentance. So the Exodus story plays a whole part in this whole baptism thing that's going on of repenting. And this idea of remaining on him, he who emerges in the set-apart spirit, the spirit on whom, the spirit on whom built the tabernacle is what I want to talk about next. And we'll talk about that next week. Next week we're going to start looking at immersion and this idea of spirit. We're going to focus on spirit and the function and what's going on. So that's just a reminder for you guys because the Exodus story, again, plays a huge part. And the Exodus story includes the mountain and then includes the tabernacle. And 
and the spirit when it fell on particular men to do a pattern and make it so. Polly, did you have something or, or no? Okay. So what's, I wasn't sure. I thought you had the mic, but you might have had something else. All right. So let me close real quick, and we'll get back to, um, uh, uh, to John next week again. Be thinking about baptism and mikvah. Uh, maybe some homework. Go look what a mikvah is. What is baptism? You go do your research. That way, whatever I might be talking about, maybe there's a little bit more to it. Maybe we have to drop some things that are traditional, or maybe some of the traditional things are good but we have to have a different mindset when we do them. So, Father, Yahweh, we give you great thanks. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your love and your mercy. Be with us today. May it be pleasing, Father, and help us to grow closer to you and to one another. We thank you again. Amen. Shabbat shalom. And those online, thank you for joining us.